0: It's September 1st, 1997, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ollie.
1: The Retrospectors!
0: Goodbye Norma Jean, though I hardly knew you at all, and Hello Princess Diana, who elbowed out Marilyn Monroe from the lyrics of Elton John's Candle in the Wind today in history in 1997. Whilst Britain was still reeling from the Princess of Wales' untimely death, it was on this day that that song first turned up on a shortlist of potential music for her funeral, being considered by Martin Neary, then Director of Music at Westminster Abbey.
2: Yeah, and the suggestion came from record producer Steve Abbott who had noticed that the song was already being played on the radio as a tribute to Diana because the similarities between the two of them, I'm sure we'll get into it, were being noticed by the public. He had to actually sing an excerpt of it down the phone to Martin Neary to kind of describe how that might sound. And apparently, but going by Elton John's own account, at the same time, Sir Richard Branson had noticed that quotes from the lyrics to the original song were being written in the book of condolence that had been put out for the public at St. James's Palace and had suggested that he could rewrite the lyrics in a more explicit tribute to Princess Diana.
1: But it wasn't actually a slam dunk yet. You know, the Dean of Westminster Abbey, Dr Wesley Carr, wrote to Buckingham Palace three days after Diana's death with a provisional order of service that actually suggested that the Elton John track that they use should be our song, which the song that they had in mind was your song, but a typo meant that it came across as our song.
2: Well, they often refer to this as being a typo, but then I started thinking maybe there was initially a plan to rewrite your song from the nation's (laughs) perspective, which sounds as nauseating as the final outcome.
0: I mean, why Elton John at all was because he had, you know, publicly been good friends with Princess Diana and in the public imagination was this recent image of her comforting him at the funeral of Gianni Versace. And that had become a globally printed photograph. So you can see why, especially when, I mean, I love Elton John, but in this context, radio stations were turning to middle-of-the-road ballads to play to not offend anyone because the princess had just died. They were playing a lot of, you know, mid-period Elton John. So you can see how all the things kind of came together and people thought, aha, this works that would be a good way to reflect what Tony Blair had done by setting the tone with his People's Princess statement. This idea that it's not enough to mark the death of this woman like you would any other royal. This needs to feel more contemporary and more of the people. I mean, one
1: of the fascinating things is that Bernie Torpen, who is uh, the longtime lyricist who worked with Elton John on so many of his songs throughout his career, he claims that he got this memo himself incorrectly and he had misunderstood that the brief that he was being given in this transatlantic call that was being made in this emergency fashion after Diana's death was for him to write something similar to the Marilyn Monroe themed original, which Torpen wrongly interpreted as a request for him simply to rewrite that song's lyrics i think all of these kind of rival stories of
0: how this iconic moment happened speak to the speed of what was going on here and the general flux and feeling of oh my god what are we going to do princess diana's just died Mm. so the day we're commemorating today where they were discussing whether or not it should be elton john that's the monday diana had died on the sunday the funeral was going to be on saturday The world was going to be watching. The printer's deadline for the order of service that they needed was Wednesday. So they had 48 hours to decide how are they going to commemorate this massive moment with so many interested parties to frankly pacify. You know, the Spencer family, the press, the Blair government and the royal family.
2: Yeah, and I mean, the lyrics, which, I mean, a BBC News article from the Times shared the revised lyrics, which they amusingly credit to Bernard Torpin, presumably feeling Bernie too jaunty, given <laughs> the circumstances. But the lyrics, let's be honest, they definitely read like there are only 48 hours to do them, you know. It, it doesn't scan. The grammar is so awkward. I think it's all now safe for us to finally admit that this actually reads like a poem someone would post on your local Facebook group.
0: <laughs> well, nowadays, it would be asking ChatGPT to write a tribute to Princess Diana in the style. <laughs> of Candle in the Wind. Wouldn't it? That's what it reads like.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean it was certainly a departure from royal funerals past. You know, the last one had been Lord Mountbatten in 1979 after he was killed in an IRA bomb attack. And the music there was strictly of the Jerusalem my vow to thee, my country vein. You know there were no pop acts. And there were concerns from the palace that the rewritten lyrics were too sentimental to be appropriate for, a, you know, a dignified royal funeral and also general discomfort about the poppiness. Mm. And the defence for it really came from a kind of an unexpected quarter which was this dean of westminster abbey dr carr he kind of he wrote this very kind of tactful note to lieutenant colonel malcolm ross who was the head of the lord chamberlain's office which is the department of the royal household which deals with events like royal weddings and funerals and he lays out specifically he says a classical style popular piece like he gives the example of andrew lloyd webber wouldn't cut the mustard he said Better would be the enclosed song by Elton John, known to millions, and his music was enjoyed by the princess, which would be powerful. And he kind of alludes very discreetly to the sour public mood towards the royals, Mm -hmm. noting that including this song would be, quote, generous to the millions who are feeling personally bereaved.
1: But also the moment that it came in the service is astonishing because the song comes just before Diana's younger brother, Charles IX, Earl Spencer, gets up and gives that remarkable, no-holds-barred speech of his. And his speech is very explicitly the opposite of what this song is doing. You know, it's not about turning her into a saint. There was a key bit that I found where he says, there's a temptation to rush to canonise your memory. There is no need to do so. You stand tall enough as a human being of unique qualities not to need to be seen as a saint. For all their and status. It seems to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, nope. this, but he. No, but so he went. He didn't. But he said, uh, for all the status, the glamour, the applause, Diana remained throughout a very insecure person at heart, almost childlike in her desire to do good for others so she could release herself from deep feelings of unworthiness, of which her eating disorders were merely a symptom. So he was very much painting a picture of a real person.
2: You can see how the song would strike people as being particularly fitting. In its original incarnation, you know, Marilyn Monroe and Princess Diana, both widely beloved, globally recognised fashion icons, an enormous appeal to a gay audience, but also known for their emotional fragility and for having these troubled personal lives and meeting tragic ends. And also, you know, Torpin has previously said the song wasn't specifically about Marilyn Monroe. He said it could easily have been about James Dean or any other tragic figures from the same period, but more about the general phenomenon of, quote, how fame affects the man or woman in the street, that whole adulation thing and the fanaticism of fans. But again, that is also extremely appropriate for Diana.
0: Yeah, well, interestingly, uh, Torpin came upon the phrase Candle in the Wind because Clive Davis, the music producer, used that phrase in reference to Janis Joplin when she Mm. died. And it was on hearing that that Torpin was like, oh, Candle in the Wind, that would be a great way to talk about Marilyn and I've wanted to write a song about Marilyn Monroe. But... I do question, actually, whether the metaphor of a candle in the wind mm. is appropriate to Princess Diana. I know that she's kind of vulnerable, but this idea of inevitability, that she was going to be struck out, which is basically what it is, isn't it? A candle in the wind is at some point going to blow out. I'm not sure, until Diana died, that it felt like she was about to imminently die. I don't think her premature death was on people's bingo card. That's why it was such a shock. Yeah. So like from that point of view, it's not quite right. And then, of course, you've got those lyrics from the original, which really do resonate the press still hounded you and they made you change your name. (laughs) (laughs) Lyrics which, of course, were considered
1: far too spicy to be included in this uh, sort of hymn version. (laughs) Well, some people who didn't necessarily see the. Uh, jangling discord of this re-lyricised version of the song were all of the people who rushed out and bought Candle in the Wind 1997, the best-selling single in UK chart history, Elton John's ninth US number one single in the States, the first single certified diamond in the US, and famously it only dropped off the Canadian charts at the turn of the century. That's how long it stuck around <laughs> Three in Canada. Years. <laughs> it <laughs> well. is absolutely extraordinary. I mean,
0: we should say at this juncture, just before I slag it off anymore, that it did raise £38 million for Diana's charities. And, you know, that was part of the reason that people bought it, because they wanted to own the thing, be part of it, but also actually genuinely, you know, make a donation to Good Works, which was a way of of compounding her legacy. However, I mean, okay, the bit in the church in Westminster Abbey is a flawless performance by Elton John. He's not growly like he is these days. This is a really present performance. And he's learned the words, which is a lot of pressure, given that he spent 20 years singing different ones. (laughs) Um, And he hits every note. So I can't really criticise the performance on the day. But the single version... Um, produced by George Martin, they've taken away all the things that made the original good, like the luscious sort of 70s harmonies and that sense of nostalgia you get when you listen to the original Candle in the Wind. That's gone. Mm. It's now got these kind of, I suppose, hymn-like piano progressions that actually struck me now listening to it as rather like that other hit of the day, Angels, by Robbie Williams, which came out about two months later. It's Mm. got that kind of feeling of, like, mawkish is the word yes yeah.
2: exactly mawkish yeah they brought in a string quartet and a flute and an oboe player in what obviously seems to be you know it's a conscious effort to tone down the poppiness and assuage concerns that the song is going to come off as tacky but actually right. it just makes, makes it, it more tacky, tacky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it makes it tackier <laughs> but the fact that it's pretty much never played anymore suggests that we all know that it kind of sucks yeah. right I mean Elton doesn't perform it he says that's out of respect but surely also because he knows that it's the original that has the staying power
1: yeah he's only actually actually listened to the track once and that was to ensure the mixing was up to his own high standards and in his autobiography he expressed a combination of bafflement he said under what circumstances would you play it and kind of distaste he said it almost felt like wallowing in her death as if the mourning for her had got out of hand
0: in which context it's interesting isn't it that it's a double a side
1: this doesn't get talked right. about a
0: lot, but and actually, something about the way you look tonight probably is Elton John's best song of the '90s, right? If you yeah, discount right. the Lion King stuff. But <laughs> what was that about? So he, what it was is, it was the first single off his album, The Big Picture, and it was in the charts anyway. And so I think the, I think the sort of spin on it was, well, we can't have two singles by Elton John in the charts, you know, we'll we'll put the, we'll put his single that he had out anyway on here. They'll both go towards Diana's charities. But let's be honest, it was giving massive <laughs> exposure to his album, wasn't it? Sure and is. it's just a bit distasteful. Like, if you look at the cover art for the single, it lists it as something about the way you look tonight slash Candle in the Wind 97. I mean, no one was buying it for something about the way you look tonight, even though that is a good song.
2: But well, you've got two sides for two different moods.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> And so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash retrospectors.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands.